Hey, welcome back to Movie Remake Time, the Filmmaker's Compass podcast, where we take a look at reboots, sequels, and remakes, and ask the very simple question, who did it best? I'm CP. This is my co-host, D-Man. D-Man, it's been a while since we've actually done a movie remake time, so I'm, oh. I'm kind of glad we're back at it. I'm going to stop you right there. I am the law. I will be dictating how this podcast goes. And even though you did the intro, I'm the judge. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, uh, I'm having a good time here, ready to talk some movies. And this week, we got a really cool comparison going on between kind of some cult classics. Let's see. We have 1995's Judge Dredd and 2012's Dread. So I don't know if any of our listeners, if you've read the comics, are familiar with the character and the different incarnations on film, but it was kind of a, I don't want to call it a pleasure. It was interesting watching both films. <laughs> What's your initial kind of take on this whole thing? I think it's really kind of weird, just in the sense that both of them are very distinctly different in terms of style, visuals, tonally, they're really different experiences. And I didn't remember that until I sat down and watched both back to back. Yeah. And I think we should note that the 2012 one is not actually a remake. It's a reboot. You know, we go from in 1995, Sylvester Stallone to Carl Urban as the lead character, Judge Dredd. It was fascinating because like you just said, I mean, the tones are are just, it's like two different takes on the same yeah. material. Yeah. And that, I don't know, really threw me for a loop. So if you haven't seen Judge Dredd, because I don't know that this is actually a movie that we can safely assume everyone has seen. <laughs> Uh, you want to go ahead and drop kind of the premise of what the movie's about, because it is a somewhat major factor in the discussion we're going to have today. The Dread Principle is a simple one. It's based on the comic book character Judge Dread, who is a street judge, peace officer who has the power of judge, jury, and executioner to enforce and execute people for their crimes on the spot. And this takes place in kind of a dystopian future. I forget what year. I think it's like 2100 something or 2080. I don't know. But it's definitely, you know, it's a dystopian future. It's pretty run down. I don't know if that had anything specifically to do with like nuclear weather or whatever. I think it did, you know. Yeah, they talk about nukes and radiation and stuff. They also, I know in the comics, because I was doing a little reading, that there is to an extent by the time we get to those years, I think there's aliens, yeah. uh, some very sophisticated robots. Although I didn't see a lot of that in the movies. I guess, you know, it's all fair game within the world of, of this whole thing. What we're witnessing in the films is a set of judges in Mega City One, which is this incredibly rundown. You kind of think of it a little bit like maybe like Coruscant from Star Wars. There's a Star Wars yeah. reference. <laughs> <laughs> we were wondering when you were going to make it, man. Yeah, you know, the lower levels are like, you know, the scum levels, and then you go up and it tends to be a little bit more magnificent. You got great views of the sky and all that type of stuff. So the judges are literally the people enforcing this whole thing. I'm not sure, and it, maybe you can elaborate here, what actually happened to democracy? I mean, <laughs> apparently the best idea that the future humans could come up with is that we should just give all the power to a select few people. And I mean, that's worked <laughs> out well for humanity throughout history. Yeah, right. Based on the comic book, and you pretty much summarized it. Now, when we look at the two films the 90s film, I would consider kind of in that 80s, 90s style of action film. Sure. It balances action, comedy. It has the effects. <laughs> I think the proper term is campiness. Yeah, maybe um, that's what it is. The visual effects that we expect from that time. 
Dread, you know, almost 20 years later is much darker. It focuses on, you know, extreme gratuitous violence. It's very tonally structured looking at a day in the life of someone trying to police this insane city called Mega City One. So something I wanted to ask you, and let's just get this out of the way. Who had the cooler suit? Sylvester Stallone or Carl Urban? I think Carl Urban's is more comic accurate technically, but I don't know. Sylvester Stallone really rocked the shit out of that. I was, I was actually going to (laughs) say, I think I, I want to get one like Stallone's and wear it for a Halloween costume, but Jesus watching that movie. Oh my God. Is Stallone not like the most Jack dude ever? It's insane. It's funny you bring that up because one of the major differences and especially between fans about the two films was that in Judge Dread with Sylvester Stallone, he removes his helmet. So we're often seeing Sylvester Stallone, Stallone. Yeah. himself, you know, he's not always in his costume. In fact, you know, he gets framed for crime and basically loses his suit. So we actually don't see him decked out the entire time. Versus the other film, like in the comics, he never takes off his helmet and is essentially suited up and ready to go the entire time. Yeah. Now, I, I don't know, you know, you're you're one of these people who can get a little prickly about stuff that's not comic accurate. <laughs> All the time. So I do like the fact that Carl Urban rocks the helmet with the with the visor the entire time and we don't see him without it. As an actor, very strong chin performance in that movie. So mad props to you, Carl, for rocking the chin. I was going to say, that is actually amazing. I was going to just another Star Wars nod. It reminds me a little bit of like the acting in, uh, you know, we got like the Mandalorian right now, where this guy has to literally carry an entire series and you can't even see his facial expression. I'm like, so this guy's got to do some really great body acting to convey emotion to the audience. And here watching Judge Dredd, I'm like, yeah, you got your chin and your body. But other than that, you're not conveying a lot through facial. And I think, you know, I don't know what the, the actual statistic is, but so much percentage of our communication comes from facial nonverbal cues. Exactly. So pretty wild that they were able to pull that off. And the first one doesn't actually have that problem because he doesn't remain in the helmet the whole time. So, you know, kind of like a, they were able to kind of sidestep that. But yeah, you know, something that really just, you know, got in my craw was like, when I'm watching the movie, I'm thinking about this premise. And I'm like, you know, it was weird to say that the judges are the good guys. They seem like the dystopian dictator-esque force that they deploy on the ground (laughs) to like, you know, make sure you keep all these people in line. It just seemed like odd that they were positioned as the good guys. And I mean that through the lens of like what history has taught us. You know, the idea of judges is noble and the first wave of, you know, judges is they're honorable cops. You know, eventually it becomes corrupted. And when you concentrate so much power into the hands of so few, most of the time corruption comes from when people fuck up. And eventually it leads to things like greed and power and fear. But initially a lot of corruption is like somebody messes up or maybe, you know, we hired the wrong judge. It's like that old saying, absolute power corrupts absolutely, which is probably why in both films we do deal with an element of corrupt judges yeah, and and the havoc that they wreak. I think that part of the reason why we follow Dredd as a main character is Judge Dredd is incorruptible. I I mean, even the guy himself, you know, in the first one, the 1995 one, like at the very beginning with... uh... 
what's his name? Rob Schneider's in the movie. He ends up arresting him, even though Rob Schneider is like, oh, you, there's a misunderstanding. Like, you, you don't realize, like, I was doing what I did just to try to save my own ass. Like, I wasn't doing anything illegal. And he's like, doesn't matter. Well, then it's like ironic that when he gets brought up in front of the council and like the chief judge, he's talking to his partner and he's like, you have to believe me. And I was like, that sounds familiar. <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, like no one's infallible, like even with the noblest of intentions, Judge Dredd, that doesn't mean that you're never <laughs> going to get it wrong, you know, and is the case, you know, it's proven to be the case that even the council itself was tricked. The whole thing was set up as like an elaborate ruse for Judge Dredd to take a fall for something he didn't even do. I know, rig system. So I was like, I mean, if the whole thing's being manipulated on this level, I was like, I don't know, man. <laughs> Like, it just sounds like the premise was always going to go downhill. I don't know. What are your thoughts? Like, I mean, it just seemed a little inevitable to me that that's where if you were going to make if you were going to make this system in a dystopian future, I'm like, I'm pretty sure this is what would happen. It's ripe for abuse. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, that's really it. You're you're right on the money. And that's probably how we got two films set in the same universe that involve corruption and the abuse of power. And so, I don't know. I, I think when it came to the second one, when it came to Judge Dredd story wise, like what really stood out to me was the gratuitous violence. It felt like that film had a better sense to me of exactly what it was and why we're watching it for violent action. You know, I, I read online that it's often compared to Raid Redemption, both in story and the violent action. Mm -hmm. So which Raid Redemption was pretty awesome. I got to give a shout out to that. That was pretty cool. Yeah, it's a fun movie. And both yeah, of them came I mean, out about the same time. I think you're right. The second one is more focused in the concept of this is what it's like being a judge in this world, you know, where they talk about day. in a world where the judges can only respond to 3% of all crimes that occur. This is what you get into in a city of 13 million people or whatever. Yeah. And essentially know? the story is basically like they get locked inside, like, I guess it's towers, but was it a prison or? No, it was like an apartment complex. Yeah. It's a like really a crappy one. And they like get locked in. I'm not sure. That's why I kind of always thought of it as a prison. <laughs> like can you put like you know even if i wanted to you know my house right here like i couldn't lock this thing down just joking yeah. listeners i can <laughs> <laughs> yeah i don't know it, it just felt that it had a better sense in a weird way it's almost like i felt the version with stallone they were really trying to toy around with a bunch of different themes just wasn't in the right hands to put it all together. I think you're absolutely right. Um, Stallone himself said he was drawn to this film because he's like, look at the issues that it's dealing with. It's the morality of a person trying to execute law in this black and white fashion. It's this world dealing with all these very complex themes that in the 1990s were right around the corner, you know, criminal justice reform, policing, right. cloning, all these environmentalism. I think you're right. The problem is it never took one of those ideas and ran with it as the central theme of the film. They tried to juggle them all. The other problem is I don't think the film knew what it was. Where you watch something like Robocop or Starship yeah. Troopers, these movies are science fiction. We know what they're dealing with and they seep it in satire. Right. And so yeah. because of that, the films have a very distinct style. In Judge Dredd, it didn't know if it was a science fiction adventure film. It didn't know if it was an action film. It didn't know if it was, you know, a satire comedy. And it was trying to juggle all these balls. And because of that, they just really failed to execute anything decisive. No, whereas with Dread, it's like, this is a day in the life of a judge. It's focused on the relationship between a crusty, older, seasoned officer yeah. and a new rookie. This is what it is to survive in this world. 
And I think that comes through to me much stronger from a story standpoint. That makes a lot more sense to me. You know, it's weird, even looking at Judge Dredd, the 1995 one, and you mentioned the satirical elements that work so well in like Starship Troopers or Robocop, you could also go the other way and go with like serious science fiction. And I think you get something like Minority Report. But mm-hmm. Minority Report is in better hand. It knows what it's doing and what its intentions are. And even though I know a lot of people didn't necessarily walk away from Minority Report loving that film, I think it's it's much better constructed to take a look at some of these things, right? Like a philosophical thing is like, if you know a crime is going to happen, can you stop it before it happens? Well, if you stop yeah. it, it never happens. And then there's also the element of like, well, if you know about it, for instance, Minority Report plays with this idea. If you know that you're going to commit the crime, don't you still have a choice? Like, yeah. so if we know we're going to commit these crimes, like, should we be arresting people? Should we be informing them? Should, <laughs> you know, yeah. what do you do? And I, I don't know. I feel like obviously Spielberg there and, and it was just in better hands. It felt like that's, you know, if you were going to go the serious route, you could have done that. If you wanted to go the Starship Troopers route, you could have done that. And this movie got stuck somewhere in the middle of trying to kind of appease everyone. And in that yeah. way, it didn't really appease anyone. Yeah. You know, they introduced this story with like his brother getting framed and all this stuff. And it's like, I, I feel like with the way Judge Dredd is set up, you need the central conflict to always be around some philosophical argument about science fiction in the future. Like I said, even Minority Report, you have a serious movie. He has, you know, he lost his son and wants to repair his marriage, but it never deviates. The story never deviates from his guilt or innocence. Mm-hmm. Even though those are elements that play into his predicament, how he's well, going to get out of it. And I, and I think you're right. And the central theme that they should have focused on is really at the center of the Dread Rico storyline, which is what if you could make the perfect human? Right. Mm-hmm. And and that's what that that's the line they're trying to walk, but they do everything except walk along that line in the movie. They focused it on that. Like, what if we could make humans better? Which a movie that I think does a great job of looking at that storyline, another science fiction film, the film Serenity, right? Yeah. It's what if the government made it, you know, tried to make perfect people? What happens? You're just like, oh, I can't believe you guys missed it because it's it's there. All the pieces that you need right. for a compelling science fiction film, which we could be talking about 30 years later because it's still relevant, like those themes are still relevant, is lost because they were just uncommitted to the lens that they were going to frame it in. Yeah, I have to agree. It just felt like they were scratching the surface a little bit, but never really dug into the material. For that reason, I mean, it was just, it was hard for me to watch it again and be like, oh, I, I got to show somebody or I got to, I can't wait to watch it again. It's kind of like, ah, oh, you know, I saw it once in college, like 15 years ago, and I don't think I've seen it again, which <laughs> should tell you everything you need to know. Yeah, right. But there are cool elements, like you said, when you get into that kind of camp and, and satire, uh, you know, the uniform was still pretty dope. Sylvester Stallone, to his credit, I think really kind of kills it in the role. He's still Sylvester Stallone. He doesn't fully transfer over into another character. But at the same time, you know, he was this big movie action star. And you're kind of like, I knew that going yeah. in. You know, I, I didn't for one second think, you know, we were going to get some sort of massive transformation here. And the effect, you know, like you said, it's kind of cool because this movie, in a way, it's 1995, so it's right after Jurassic Park. It's right after the world's been changed by digital effects. And they're still really adhering to that old school style. You know, it's almost funny. uh, Another example of that is like Spielberg made Jurassic Park and then later made Hook, which like totally abandons that concept of digital effects and goes back to this kind of like practical feel. But I mean, you watch Hook and it feels like they're on sets. 
Yeah, like when they're kinda, in Neverland, it doesn't. It feels like when they're on the boat, you're like, "This is not a real boat. It looks well, like a play." That was kind of one of the things I liked about Judge Dredd. You know, I, I had another appreciation looking at it and seeing like the spaceships and and Mega City One. I'm like, "This is sets and and models," and we don't get to watch a lot of movies like that anymore. The puppetry work of the robot that attacks him at the end, and yeah. you're like, "Okay, there's some cool practical effects and makeup." And in this day and age, that would all just be done digitally, and they would have called it a day. You know, I think that's actually something that I'll somewhat not dread for 2012 version here is because it went so small and locks them into like apartment towers. It felt like there's this whole dystopian world in Mega City One, and it felt I don't know, like yes. On one hand, we're getting a day in the life of it. It takes place in this location for what it is. The movie's awesome, but it's weird for a movie to introduce these grand concepts and this big city and then just stay here. That was my issue too. And and one of the things that I have to give, you know, 95 Judge Dredd that it does really well is when you show us a wall as an audience, you have to take us on the other side. Right. Yeah. And at least to the credit of the filmmakers are like, when we say, Hey, all of the population lives in this mega city one and it's surrounded by a wall well then as an audience we got to see what's on the other side and at least they take us outside yeah you know a movie that i always felt like a dystopian future that just really knocks it out of the park i like i said minority report obviously i always liked blade runner mm. i thought blade runner was really able we talked about this or i think we alluded to it when we talked about do introduces like there's this world in la that they explore and it feels so real i don't know if i want to go there <laughs> it feels like you could go there that's the catch yeah, And for they sure. do such a good job of it. Obviously, I think the effects work that was done in Dread, all the gratuitous violence and all that, if you're into that, very fun. They do a great job, extremely bloody. I mean, people are falling many stories and hitting the ground. They're, I don't know, they did this really cool effect where like people are getting high and like time slows down. Yeah. I don't know. What, what was that about? Yeah. What was it like? I think it's just an excuse to be able to add in all these awesome, hyper surreal uh, slow motion scenes where they get to change all the lighting and the color palette. Yeah. And... It was pretty cool. I, it, I it, it. It's fun. And, and you're like, okay, like I see it. Like, yeah, that's, you're showing us visually that this is a different experience and it comes across really well in film. I yeah, remember I seeing that, the theater. I was like, whoa, that's insane. Yeah. I thought that hit really well. Um, did I mention the violence? Yeah. That, <laughs> that's really what I took away. It's like, Hey, here's they're They're basically going back to the basics here and being like, dude, this guy lives in a terrible place and people do terrible things. And that results in a lot of death. Let's not hide it or let's not just have people fall down. Like it's brutal. No, and that was cool. And you could tell that the filmmakers just lean into it. They're like, you know what? We are going to try and make one of the most bloody, gory, violent movies we possibly can. And this is it. You know what? I do have something that I wanted to ask you about. And I want to see what your thoughts are. So I looked this up, I believe in 1995's Judge Dredd, which was actually, there were like a surprising number of like Big people. stars. In, yeah. Diane Lane, Max Vancito, uh, Amanda Santi. Yeah. I, I think James Earl Jones even does like the, the Star Wars crawl at the beginning with the text. Yeah. I, was yeah, like, you're I don't right. know why you got James Earl Jones to read that. Could have been anybody. I mean, I knew his voice. It was like that yeah. Darth Vader. What was your thoughts on 1995's score? I think it's Alan Silvestri, who's great. I mean, he's fantastic. And I wanted to know if you noticed 
because I did not like it. I was not a fan. I, by comparison, actually love the 2012 score. It's very futuristic and kind yeah, of- Yeah, uh, not like the 1995. I thought it was a mismatch. It doesn't, it feels heroic and, and certain like classical- hero i was like i'm not getting that vibe at all i think based on the conflicting images with the sound i was like this is not working it's a mismatch i'm with you it's almost like they needed to do something akin to like the robocop approach to the score clearly like there is the music for murphy and it's softer it's lighter it's more whimsical and there's the heavy you know brass sounds that we associate with robocop depending on which state the character is in we have the music to accompany him I think that they needed to do something like that with like the harsh black and white man that is Judge Dredd and the the person who he is once all of that is stripped away from him. And I think you're right. It just, it didn't work. It was weird and it was, it's kind of a bummer. It's kind of encapsules my view on the whole film. It just, some of the elements, they felt like mismatches, but in a weird way, I'm like, I keep coming back to the concept that I'm like, if this movie was in better hands and somebody was able to really put it all together, even in 95, I think it could have been a mega hit. It just, you know, it scratches the surface philosophically. It doesn't adhere enough to the comics. It, the score is kind of a mismatch. The effects, while cool, aren't necessarily fully utilized. Like there's just so many elements where I was like, man, you know, if it could have been done, Maybe a little bit better. It could have, you know, really been a 90s classic. No, I so, think you're absolutely right. But speaking of scores, you know, like one of my all-time favorite scores is Terminator. And we've done Terminator on this pod. I mean, that score is amazing. And it's futuristic. And then they have that, you know, the classic Terminator theme song. Dun, 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 dun. Yeah. But then they also have in Terminator 1, I mean, it's like these real futuristic, I don't know what you call it, almost tones, yeah. like these sharp sounds and all this stuff. I was like, it's great. I watch it now and I'm like, damn, this is good. Yeah, you can really feel good. the score in conjunction with what you're seeing on screen. And I mean, imagine taking Judge Dredd's score and putting it on top of Terminator. I'm like, no, it would change the movie. You're totally right. It was, it's, it's one of the biggest um, misses and that a- they had. Alan Silvestri. I mean, he's, he's fantastic. I mean, didn't he do uh, Avengers? Didn't he? Like so many things, I think that they tried to do too much instead of focusing on this very clear vision. And it just kind of... Something else I wanted to ask you, but I I read about this. Now, 2012's Dread was not a financial box office success. Although it didn't do bad at the box office, it really gained its fandom once it got onto streaming services and other people could see it. So as you mentioned at the top of the episode, there's a little bit of a cult following. Now, since 2014, I think there's been rumors of a sequel that have never, it's never happened. A sequel or maybe even a streaming show with the way things are going now. Would you want to see that based on 2012 Dread? I think so. I mean, as you said, there's a lot in that world to explore. I did go see Dread on opening day, and I will tell you, no one saw it because I think my brother and I were the only two people in the theater. I know. And I was like, how is this possible? And my mind was blown. But I think part of it is that people associated it so much with that 95 one. And I assume they thought it was a sequel and everyone's like, we don't need a sequel. I think it would be great. I liked what they were trying to do. I liked the visual style. I liked the fact in this world where everyone is so quick to take comic books and adapt them to film, you could tell that they were doing something different with the 2012 Dread. And it had a style, a visual palette that was very unique to its own experience as opposed to trying to replicate all the other comic book adaptations. 
I will have to give you that. To Dredd's credit, when you actually think about it, Marvel movies follow a formula. Mm -hmm. You know, as comic book movies, they very rarely deviate. And I think that's why some people, especially like some, you know, really, really novel filmmakers can be critical of Marvel movies because they find them formulaic. They don't find them pushing boundaries. They're just playing in the sandbox. They're playing with action figures, but they're not pushing, right? And people consider them to be kind of safe. They're like theme park rides. I don't want to get into that whole discussion, but I did want to acknowledge that Dread doesn't really follow that formula. It's a little bit like Deadpool in that way, right? Instead of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, they don't really cuss. I think like even they even call it out like Steve Rogers does one time and they're like, Steve said a bad word, you know, like to see a movie that kind of bucks all of that and not not just like the Snyderverse where you're like, oh, it's darker. You're like, no, they're like really getting violent here. There's cursing. There's, you know, a lot of different elements so I I appreciated that for sure and I agree I think now that I watched it again I mean I I would like to see maybe a limited series I'd probably check it out it's it's clearly has its own style and it knew what it wanted to do visually the story that it could tell within that world and I think that worked really well the other great thing is Carl Urban as an actor has always come out very supportive of reprising the dread role which again I know originally when the film came out that was one of the concerns was that so many actors passed on it because you didn't get to see his face. So again, more props to Carl Urban. I think that's awesome. Yeah. I'd be interested to check it out. I mean, my biggest thing I would want to tell the filmmakers though is figure, you know, this is sci-fi, dystopian future. Find something about the future, about the future that's created here in the world of Judge Dredd that you can really toy around with from a story perspective. Not just the brutality of the world, not having someone say a line that acknowledges that that could be a problem. Take the story and really explore something. And I think you could have a great show. The character himself, there's an element of morality, right? Like you said, we see him as a little bit infallible. What would it take to break his code? What would have him turn? What, you know... Those are interesting questions. And I think if you did a series the right way, you could get it there. I don't know. I guess that's, that's my thoughts on the two movies. Do you have any final, final words? You said it at the top of this hour. Judge Dredd is epic for Judge Dredd's most famous line. I am the law. Who did it better, Carl Urban or Sylvester Stallone? Sylvester Stallone, <laughs> of course. I I often point that out in uh, casting things as a masterclass in acting right there. You know, we still quote it to this day, so I, I do agree. You love it and you hate it, which I think sums up that first Dread movie so well. Yeah, and I mean, like, you know, even story-wise, the ending, it just by the time they got there, it just felt rushed. Another movie like that I felt was, did you ever see Ready Player One? Which is ironically Spielberg. He's normally so good at this stuff. Yeah. But it was like, they introduced this cool world. They kind of do all this stuff. And then you just get to the end. And I was like, that was it? I don't know. It felt anticlimactic to me. Like, I I was like, (laughs) I'm not actually worried if Judge Dredd lives or dies. I mean, I think when he signed up to be a judge, those were the stakes. Yeah. So, and I don't know that we care about the character enough for me to be like, I don't want him to die. I don't know. By the time they got to the end, I was like, I don't know. I'm just not sure if this ending was powerful enough. You really want to stick people with something. I mean, that's fair. Again, I think that the film is going for a very visceral experience, which Dread does that very well. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's it's a visceral movie and you watch it and you're like, whoa, that was that was intense. May just be the experience. But if I have to pick, you know, who did it better, I have to give the nod to 2012's Dread. This is somewhat odd for me because I typically tend to love originals, you know, or the uh, first movie that came out. But here, you know, I got to throw it down. I think the new one did it better. 
it goes smaller, but sometimes smaller is better. If, if, if you can't do the grand thing. Yeah, that's how I'll sum it up. You know, I, I just, I think they, they grounded it. They went smaller, but it worked. Even though I still have some gripes with the movie and I think they could explore that world a lot more in a limited series or possibly a sequel, but I'd go series. I think 2012 is better than 95. So throw it over to you. What do you think? I agree. I'm going with the 2012 one as well. I think part of the intention, and I don't know this, I didn't read this. This is just kind of my gut. I think that after Nolan released Batman Begins and The Dark Knight, everyone started thinking, how can we tell this story in a more practical world? I think one of the cool things that Dread does in 2012 is yes, visually it has a style, but it is grounded in a realism that you could, watching that movie, you could think, yeah, I could see if things continue the way they are, the world being like that in 25 years, and it would really suck. And I think that that's a, a very powerful tool. I also, as you said, sometimes instead of trying to tell this great big world, you know, scale it down into something that you can do really well and make a good example of what that looks like. And, and all of those, I think are great lessons It's one of those movies that I think is a lot of fun to watch because they put the throttle on and that's a fun experience as an audience. Yeah. And it's funny. I do want to note this. It's not about dread. You look back at Batman Begins and Dark Knight and we're talking about Marvel being formulaic. There's your example of pushing, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. They're doing new things. You know, Nolan's getting people to be like, damn, Batman is like, it's a great comic book movie, but it's also just a great movie. Yeah. I think that's sometimes with all these comic book adaptations and different stuff, that's why people can get a little, you know, hey. And I think, you know, Dread was a little bit of a breath of fresh air and maybe fresh blood. And <laughs> that works for me. So throw it to our listeners. I am curious to see what you guys say. If you haven't seen the 1995 one, I believe you can watch it on Amazon Prime. That's so where I watched it. If you have Prime, you don't have to pay for it. You know, I don't know if anybody's like, I want to shell out $4 to see Sylvester Stallone and 1995 but that sounds pretty good to me so if you don't have time i'd recommend it. you know let us know your thoughts if you got a chance to see the new one do you think they should continue that story you know or let judge dread be and these are this is what we got so interested to hear from you guys keep the conversations going be sure to subscribe to the show we're on all the major podcast directories and you can find all our social media channels at filmmakerscompass.com. So we have everything there. We have a feed with all our newest episodes and all that. So be sure to follow along and subscribe to the show. It helps us rank a little bit higher. Those algorithm, pesky al- algorithms. So, <laughs> you know, help us rank a little bit higher. and Hopefully we can get some more conversation going around the news. But I hope you guys enjoyed the show. I'm going to throw it over to you, CP. Take us out. On that note, thanks for talking about Judge Dredd and, well, just regular old dread in the meantime you keep watching movies and we will see you back here next week to talk about the next film